0: Welcome to the Celebration Church Podcast. We are so glad you've joined us, and we hope you are encouraged by today's message. Would you guys mind helping me to join all of our campuses that are with us today? Julaton Creek, Orange Park, what's up, guys? We're so glad that you're with us today. Those with the priesthood and watching us online, we're so, so glad to, to have you with us today. I'm so honored to, to be with you today. I really, I really, really am, and I love kind of where we are as a church. I love I love us engaging the whole story and being able to, to unpack the Bible in its context so that we can extract all that God wants to do through us as a result of it. I really believe it's powerful. And as we've been looking at the Holy Spirit and understanding what we have access to and how God is wants to empower us and equip us to, to go out into the world and make differences in our own homes as well as in the communities that we're a part of, I, I love the, the sequence that we're at. Because now as we go into this new season talking about covenant and, and, and what's a part of it, there's several ingredients that are connected Connected to covenant and how we can really walk this whole thing out. And redemption is a primary component of that. Now, a, a lot of times we'll interchangeably hear the idea of redemption attached to resurrection and, and restoration and, and, and all those wonderful things. And the truth of the matter is those things are interconnected and they are, they are related. But I do wanna draw one distinction that makes redemption a little bit different. What makes redemption a little bit different is redemption is the transaction that gives us access to resurrection, restoration, and reformation, and all those wonderful things. So it's it's the redemptive thing that allows us to have access to all the things that God has for us. Let me let me let me see if I can make it plain. Um, Pastor John had mentioned like my family. We've been traveling a little bit over the past couple of years, and now God has has called us to go to Celebration, Orlando. So now that we're in Celebration, Orlando, we're getting acclimated to the area. So we're loving the amusement park. So just humor me for a moment. Just imagine if, as an act of just Unprecedented generosity. I wanted to give everybody in here Disney and Universal passes just because you guys have showed up at church today. You get a pass, you get a pass, you get a pass. Everybody, everybody gets a pass, annual passes, you pick the park, it's all good. Now the reality of it is this. I went ahead and I already purchased the tickets. I already purchased them for you. I'm giving them to you. Now, what you have to do is take what I have given you and apply it so that you can get access to everything that has already been paid for. This, in essence, is exactly what we're talking about as it relates to redemption. Jesus says it this way in, in, in Mark chapter 10. He says, listen, I have not come to be served, but I've come to serve to give my life as a ransom or as payment for those who are lost. Even the Hebrew writer tells us in Hebrews 9, he says that when Jesus went into the holiest of holies, that he submitted his blood as payment to give us eternal Redemption, because the reality of it is this, we could never, we could never afford to pay the price that is required for the sin that we inherited as a result of the fall. We just couldn't afford it. And I'm not sure if you've ever been at a place where you've gone into an environment and you've gotten sticker shock because you've seen just how expensive something was and you had to like play it off because you didn't want everybody to know that you're broke. Maybe it's just me. This happened. This happened to me. This is real time. This happened to me just last week. My wife and I. We love to go house shopping. We love to look at homes. It's just something that we love to do in our past time. So here we are. We're riding around and we see these homes and we're like, Hey, you know, let's let's go in there and let's tour the home. We walk through. We see it. It's beautiful. Everything is laid out. We're getting decorating ideas and all that stuff. And so we finally go down and we start talking with the sales agent. And so we're talking with the sales agent. She's telling us all the amenities, all the great features. We're like, All right, cool. So I'm the businessman. I'm like, Okay, so tell me, how much are we talking now? And she looks at me and she says, oh, you know, it'll be 1.5 million. Now, let me let me pause for a moment, because I, I realize that there's different people of varying levels of success that attend Celebration Church, so I'm thankful if you were one of those people that live in one of those homes. I'm a pastor on a salary, so I stop my tax bracket right now. So when she said 1.5 million, like, it, it, it caught me off guard a little bit. But when, I, when she said the words, you could tell she was looking at me with maybe a little tint of judgment because she wasn't sure if I was gonna to react to it or not. So you gotta be able to look at them without blinking. I'm like, 1.5 million, is that all? <laughs> like, my wife and I, our, our range, we were actually looking at something in a three million range. Honestly, we expected a little bit more. So then you start asking, well, like, kinda, what kind of lumber do you guys use that you're able to cut costs to that extreme? Now they're backing up a little bit. Now you got them like a little bit on the defense and then you hit them with another one and you say, hey, can I buy two lots and just build one house in the middle? Well, no, sir, you can't do that. Well, this house isn't for us. Honey, let's go, we're out of here. Go. <laughs> and then you walk out and you laugh it off and be like, I'm surprised I didn't check our credit just to walk through the front door. And you, and you just keep it moving. Here, here's the thing though. That's, that, that, is a, that is a small microcosm of the extremes in the fact that that we could never pay the price. But the good news is, is that Jesus has paid the price, which means that we are redeemed, we just have to apply it to our lives to get access to all that he has for us. And what I love about the video that we just saw, the story of Ruth, and you're gonna engage this this week, you're gonna to talk to your families about it, but I love that it's a powerful, redemptive story that helps us to understand what does it look like to submit yourself, to be loyal to the Redeemer, to be covered by him, and how God can restore beauty for ashes. And the Bible is filled with these incredible stories that deal exactly with that very same premise. And there's one that I want us to look at today. There's one I want to look at today that I believe that has powerful impact if we engage it through the lens that we're going to talk through. Looking at Ezekiel chapter 37, we're going to engage verses 1 through 14 and believe that God's going to speak to us in a profound way today. Here's what it says, starting at verse 1 the hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the Spirit of the Lord, and he set me down in the middle of the valley, and it was full of bones. And he led me among them, and behold, there were many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. Somebody say, very dry. And he said to me, son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, oh Lord, you know. Then he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, oh dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live, and I will lay sinews upon you, and and will lay flesh upon you, will come upon you, and I will cover you with skin, and I will breathe on you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God. So I prophesied as I was commanded. I want to pause here for a second because there's something here that I think is that is really prolific. You see, Just in Ezekiel chapter 12, Ezekiel is essentially hearing a complaint from God about how the people of God don't have eyes to see and don't have ears to hear. So then when we fast forward a little bit further, Ezekiel is now given the command, the instructions to speak the word of God to a decayed bone environment that doesn't even have the ingredients to receive what's being spoken. The ears have long decayed. The ability to hear has long decayed, but nonetheless, he is given the assignment to speak in an environment that doesn't look like it would even remotely be receptive to what's about to be said. But I think there's something that we can look at Ezekiel because the Bible says that he does it without even hesitation. Because I believe that there's, there's freedom and being obedient to God when we're not responsible for the results. A lot of times we're a little bit hesitant in doing the things or or going into the environments that God is leading us into because we're always thinking about the end result or possibly how it can look for us if we do it and we don't see the transaction completed. So it it can often hold us. But what we see with Ezekiel is that he boldly goes out and he speaks the word of God as he's commanded and he trusts God with the results. Let me encourage somebody in here today. There's a person that God has been telling you to encourage that you've been reluctant to do because you've been thinking to yourself, well, they don't even have the ingredients to receive what I'm about to say. They don't even have a heart to necessarily receive it. They don't have the ears to hear it. And so we've been reluctant to speak it because we're thinking that it's our responsibility to bring them to a point of transition of some sort. But God's saying, I'm not asking you to worry about that. I'm just asking you to be obedient and speak my word and allow me to be the one that brings about the results. There's some environments that God has placed you in. Him, that he's challenging you to just speak my word. I dare you to be a person that walks into your work environment and begins to live out and speak the word of God, even in a toxic environment. A lot of times we're thinking, I need a new job. No, God puts you there so that you can change the atmosphere. Just speak his word and allow that to be the thing that changes the atmosphere. I dare you to start speaking the word of God over your family. That even when you don't feel as if you have the relational equity and the evidence isn't there, that seems as if it can receive what God has put on your heart. I dare you to start speaking him because what I see through scripture is that the things in the atmosphere begin to shift when I begin to speak the word of God over it and allow God to bring the results So what I dare you to, I dare you to speak the word of God over your finances that when you can look and see that things are scattered and you don't have all the resources that you want to have but you see that God's word is telling you to go ahead and bring your ties to the storehouse and speak a blessing over your house I dare you to begin to speak it and watch what God does through the be hearts when we see that God is the one who is responsible for bringing about the results it's just all about being obedient so here's what it says in verse 7. He says, So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied there was a sound. Somebody say, there was a sound. And behold, the rattling and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and, and flesh had come upon them, and, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, Prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, Thus says the Lord, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as the breath came upon me, and they lived and they stood an exceeding great army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up, our hope is lost, we are indeed cut off. That's the condition that some of us find ourselves in making these proclamations about our lives. But therefore prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord. This is for somebody in here. Behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves. Oh, my people, I will bring you into the land of Israel. I will bring you to the environment I called you to. And you shall know that I am the Lord. When I open the graves and raise you from your graves, O oh, my people, I will put my spirit within you and you shall live. I will place you in your own land. And then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken it. And I will do it, declares the Lord. Amen. That's a part where we can clap when we know that if God has spoken it, that he's the one that is going to do it. Today, I want to talk for a few moments around this idea of redemption and the things that we have access to by simply submitting ourselves to what God is asking us to do. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this message title down, The Valley. Just simple that, The Valley. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for this incredible environment, God, that you're leading us through. And God, we thank you for the incredible atmosphere that, that Pastor Stovall and Pastor Kerry has, has created that allows us to come here to be able to engage you with freedom. Lord, we pray over the next few moments that you give us open eyes that we can see you. God, we pray for open ears that we can hear your truth, God, and we pray for open hearts that we can receive all that you want to pour out for us today. We pray and declare all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. See, when we think about valleys, a a lot of things can come into mind, especially when we look at it through the lens of biblical context, myself included. A lot of times when I would think about the idea of valleys, I would think about the low place because we were contrasted with the mountains. So we have the mountain experience, and then we have the valley experience. And most of us who look at the Bible and even consider the seasons of life that we go through understand that we have seasons where we're elevated on a the mountain, then we have seasons when it seems like we're in a low pace. So it's the, it's the, it's the mountain and the valley. The, the problem with that is that it would lead us to believe that when I'm in the valley, that there's no victory, that when I'm in a valley, there's nothing but struggle, and I just gotta I got I to gotta thug it out until I can get through it. The thing is, that's not true. In fact, what we see through scripture is that some of the most profound victories have taken place in the valley. Sometimes it's in the valley that we get a revelation of who God is and what he wants to do through us and through our situation. You see, when I look at Exodus chapter 17, the Bible tells us about the children of Israel as they were being led out of Egypt. And what the Bible declares is that when they were entering into this valley, this area called Rephidim, which was supposed to represent a place of rest, that they were attacked from the Amalekites. So what the Bible says is that Moses positioned himself on the mountain, which gave him a perspective of the valley, while simultaneously the children of Israel were in the valley and they had a perspective of Moses. And somehow working together that as long as Moses' arms were lifted up, they were able to be victorious even while they were yet in the valley. I believe that it's not so much that there's mountain versus valley, but I believe that the mountain gives us perspective of the valley, and the valley gives us perspective of the mountain. So that means that even when I'm in my high places, I'm having recognition of the things that I need to do and being submitted so that when I'm in the low place, I have the strength that I need. But when I'm in the low place, I have a perspective of the mountain, understand that God's not done with me yet, and that he's going to lead me to my mountain Mountaintop experience. It's it's all about perspective. It's understanding that God wants to lead us through that. I believe another instance in which we see this mountain and valley tension work together is when we look at 1 Samuel chapter 17. It's the story of David and Goliath, and what we hear is that when the children of Israel had gathered all around this this valley called Selah, this valley where they were all like kind of gathered there, the Bible says that the Philistines came to attack them. But before they would engage in war, we had Goliath that would go back and forth in this valley and, and yell out these statements offensive statements. And what the Bible says is that when David hears about it, this young man who who understood who God was, he went into that valley with the intentions of being victorious. Now, everyone else avoided the valley. They didn't want to go into it because there was a giant there. But somehow David knew that if I go into the valley in the name of the Lord, I will be successful even though I am in a low place. So what the Bible says, he declares this to Goliath. He says, you come with a, spe- with a spear and a sword, but I come in the name of the Lord. See, David was spitting and you didn't even know it. He said, you come with a sword, I come with the Lord. What you want to do? And what he did in this battle is he was letting them know, like, you may have some things on your hand, but I got the spirit of the living God with me, and I could take this rock, and I can decapitate a giant, because even though I am in the valley, I'm not there by myself. It's amazing the victories that could take place when we're in the valley, when we have the right perspective. I believe it's from these type of experiences we get the powerful words that David tells us in Psalm 23 where he says, yea, though I may walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I have nothing to fear because God is with me. We have this powerful perspective that even in the valley, we can have victory. But there's a tension that we also have to manage. There's this thing that we have to still recognize because it's in the valley we also face some of our deepest opposition and some things that we just have to kind of reconcile. In fact, what we see with Ezekiel, the Bible tells us with Ezekiel in chapter 3, that he went into a valley that God had led him to, and it was there that he had an encounter with God. It was so powerful that it literally transformed his life and gave him a vision of what he was supposed to speak and what he was supposed to do. It's in the valley Ezekiel had this radical encounter with God. Now we fast forward a few chapters, and now we're in chapter 37, and many believe it's in the exact same valley he once saw the glory of God. Now he's seeing desolation and brokenness. Look at the extremes that happen sometimes, where in one season, I can see the glory of God moving in one environment, but in that exact same environment, it seems like it's all dried up and decayed. It deals with the tension of seasons that we often go through from time to time. And in one season, it could seem as if everything is going good. My job is going great. My marriage is great. I'm seeing and experiencing the glory of God. But then through circumstances that you can control and many that you can't, you're in the exact same location. But now you're looking at desolation and brokenness. And unfortunately, much like the children of Israel, you could feel that despair and brokenness is the only thing that you have in your future. What what do you do when the valley that you're supposed to be passing through becomes the graveyard where your dreams and hopes have died and have begun to decay? This is the condition that the narrator begins to illustrate and help us to understand. Ezekiel is now given the assignment that not only did he see the glory of God in the same valley with the very same people, he now has this glimpse of the brokenness and despair that happens as a result of it, but he wanted to make sure that they understood that God is not done just yet. So when I think about the fact that all of these bones are scattered and decayed there, the question comes to my mind, why, why are they there? Like, what, what exactly happened that put them in the position that they're in right now? We already seen in the scriptures, as we look a further down, we see that it says that these men were slain, which indicates that there was a, a war of some sort. There was a battle of some sort that obviously it didn't go in our favor. We, we kind of get that, but, but why were they there? Why, why were they just left there? Because it would have been completely disrespectful and dishonoring for an entire people to be wiped out in a battle of some sort and someone not come and bury the bodies or somebody not come and see about the dead. Like, why were they left out to rot? Why why were they left out and and allowed the vultures to have their fill? Why were they left out to decay openly and publicly and and, and have to deal with the the repercussions of that as a people? Why why did they have to to go through that? It It doesn't make any sense. Some rabbinic scholars believe that that group was meant to represent a group of people that escaped Egypt before Moses had begun to initiate it. And what unfortunately happened is that the path that they went on, it led them right into the camp of the Philistines where they were slaughtered and left out for dead in front for all to see. What I think that could possibly indicate for us is it's possible to to be in the right place at the wrong time. That while they had the ambition to get out of Egypt, but when you try to do it in your own strength, it can result in brokenness. I think it's important for us to understand that we can't let our, our ambitions outpace the grace of God. We, we can't get to a place where we're so ambitious, we're getting to the next place that we begin to leave God behind. Because the Bible declares that, that by his stripes, we are healed. When we think about that, that means that the back of Jesus, it indicates that we have healing. The problem is that sometimes we get ahead of God and we don't even recognize what he's already done for us because we've got ahead of God. And what can happen is we find ourselves fighting battles in our own strength. So even when we look at the fact that these men are laid out there, decaying openly, and now they are just at a place where they've reduced to ash, it still makes me wonder, but, but why, why there? Why did this happen? I think many of us can probably relate to being in one of those seasons where we've asked that question, what, why am I here? Why why did I have, like, what? And, I, and I understand, I understand that it's, it's, it's natural for us to ask these questions. I understand that, that we all wanna kinda get some sense of why. Because we believe that why will bring us closure, that why will give us perspective, that we can learn from why so we can make sure that we don't repeat some of the same mistakes. So we can sometimes live in why. And, and, and I got to be honest with you, I, I was there not too long ago, just a couple of years ago. You see, for, for me and many of you have heard this story, but I've, I've always had this vision of me and my family always being together. It was just this this vision slash burden that I feel that God has spoken to me. So much so that, that when we began the process of, of building our dream home right here in Jacksonville, I built it with the mindset of, this is going to be the place for my grandchildren. This is going to be the place where we all come to gather and hang out. We're writing scriptures on beams. We're speaking words over every room. We know what God has shown us. One year later, God says, I need you to go to DC. I'm like, Lord, can I take my house with me? Like, <laughs> h- how, how am I supposed to reckon? Like, but I don't, I don't understand why. But at that exact same time, as we're transitioning and and moving to D.C., my daughter was wrapping up her her college here and she felt that God was calling her to to go and partner with a a friend of mine's church in Atlanta. So my daughter is going off to Atlanta. When we went to D.C., we thought that my son and his family was gonna come up to D.C. with us. That didn't work out. So now, for the first time, the dream and vision of my family and I doing ministry together had begun to scatter much like those very bones in that dry place. To make matters even worse, while I was separated from my family and trying to come to a new normal, so to speak, I broke my ankle in a freak accident. Now, I, I would love to tell you that I broke my ankle because there were like some baby seals out in the road and I had to lunge out for them and grab them and scoop them up before they got hit. And as a result of that, I twisted my ankle, but the seals are okay. I, I would love to say that. I, I would love to say that there were some bald eagle nest eggs out there, and I wanted to go out there and make sure that they didn't get ran over because you got to protect the eagles, because you know America. And so I got—I got—I would have loved—I would love to say that I would—I would even love to say that I was out playing on the basketball court and I crossed somebody up, and maybe I—I zigged I when I should have zagged, lost my balance, and I, I would even accept that. The reality of it is, is this: I broke my ankle checking the mail. I don't need that right now. I need y'all to have some sympathy, and be like, oh man, like how did that happen? But you see, like I thought we were priesthood of believers. Guess not. Um, I broke my ankle checking. Nothing is more humbling and more embarrassing than breaking your ankle by checking the mail. So I break my ankle. I end up going to the doctor, I get surgery, and now I have the next eight weeks to just basically stay laid up in my room with my foot elevated to ramble on in my thoughts. And so as I'm laying in this broken condition with a plate in my ankle, not able to move around, along with my thoughts, I'm saying to myself, why? why? I wouldn't have broke my ankle if I was in Jacksonville because our mailboxes are all in a safe environment. <laughs> so, why my family would still be together if I was back in Jacksonville so Lord why week 1 why week number two God why week number three why now we're at week number four God why and 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 I'm still processing and I'm not, I'm not hearing anything back, so I begin to open up the book and begin to try to study and understand why, because I've, I've read somewhere that if you start with why, then you can understand your what. I, I'm trying to use business strategies and all these other things that I've heard that you need in order for us to move forward. But as I'm asking why, I'm not getting any resolution. I get to week five, and as I'm still processing why, God, he, he humbly and he, he gracefully told to me, he said, you're asking the wrong question. He said, you're you're trying to process in real time why I'm doing what I'm doing. He said, you will never understand in real time what I am doing. That perspective is always found in retrospect. He said, what I need you to do is move from why are you in the situation you're in, I need you to move forward to what am I going to do in the situation that you were in. God said, why is keeping you at a standstill, but when you can get to what, then you can begin to recognize that I am beginning to move you forward and I can show you that I'm about to do a new thing. See, I began to understand that I was at a standstill as long as I was asking why, because the reality of it is, is no matter what God would have said to me, I would have had another way that he could have accomplished that same goal. God, you'll never find resolution in why. We often believe that if I can get closure, if I can just understand it, then I'll feel better about myself. The truth is, it will never make sense to you. This is why God said, my ways are not your ways. Stop trying to get so logical with this and stop asking me, why are you in the situation that you're in? And start asking me, what am I going to do to move you forward? So you know what I did? I said, God, so what are you going to do? He said, I'm glad that you asked me that. Let me show you exactly what I'm going to do. As you're going to physical therapy, I want you to speak my word. Much like Ezekiel, I'm thinking to myself, they don't even have the ingredients to hear what I'm about to say. He said, I just want you to be obedient and speak my word. And so when I went to physical therapy for the first time, and they were showing me for the first time how to put weight on my leg again, and as I was trying to sort through it, they said, "They said, okay, you just got to put your weight on. You got to put your weight on. You got to trust the process. God said, tell them that's exactly what happens. They got to learn to put their weight on me, and they got to trust that I'm going to be there to catch them, even if they do stumble. I began to illustrate what I was going through and began to let them know that this is exactly how the kingdom of God works. There's some things that you just got to walk through. There's certain things that may not be uncomfortable, but God is with you every step of the way. And let me tell you, church, as a result of me speaking God's word, I began to see the atmosphere at the physical therapy place began to change. I found that other people that was going to physical therapy, they changed their schedule because they wanted to be there when a the preacher man was going to be there so they can get an encouragement. Encouraging word. You know what ended up happening is that we had some of my physical therapists, they actually ended up coming to church. Two got saved, one got baptized, and one joined our church as a result of me simply saying yes to God and recognizing that even in my most broken seasons, I will glorify God. Even in my setbacks, God will be glorified. So I've come to a place in my life, I don't ask why anymore, but I say, God, what you want to do? God, what you want to do in this situation? What do you want to speak? Because I want to position myself that I lay my life out as a drink offering, as Paul says, to say that if you want to use me, if you want to use my pain, then I will gladly do it because I know it is unto you and not unto me. It is unto your glory, God, and this is what it means to be in the priesthood of believers. And the cherry on the top is, as a result of doing all that, I'm right back in Florida with my family, the way that God has shown me the vision in the first place. It's amazing how God begins to work all things together. It truly, it truly, truly is. I believe that God wants to encourage somebody in here today. And and I say this with every ounce of love that I have, stop asking why, just stop. God, what are you going to do? And I believe that you will hear a revelation from God that is gonna give you instructions where you can see the dead things in your life come back to life, not because you're stuck at why, because now you're available to the what. I thought this was a rowdy church. I thought they would have clapped there, Pastor John, but. So here's a couple things I want us to look at. A couple things I want us to look at. The Bible says that after he spoke the word, as I prophesied, there was a sound. Somebody say, there was a sound. It seems to me that when I look at scripture, there are these instances where a sound precedes a major move of God. It seems as if that there's this connection between when we hear these supernatural sounds, how then God begins to move. It's an indicator that God's about to do something. I got, I got some Bible for you. The Bible says it this way in Genesis 1, going all the way back to the very beginning. The Bible says that when God saw that the earth was without form and void, he spoke That sound, words, let there be light. And as a result of what God spoke, the sound began to change the atmosphere that now caused darkness to flee, which lets us know that maybe we're in some dark environments, but maybe the sound that we need to speak in order to chase the darkness away is let there be light. It's amazing how God begins to move through sound. Maybe we can look even further at what the Bible talks about in uh, 1 Kings chapter 18 with Elijah. The Bible says that he said, I hear the sound of abundance. I hear the sound of a rain coming in, and even though they were in a drought, even though we're in a season where they didn't have anything, Elijah heard it before he saw it. I wanted somebody to hear that. He heard it before he saw it. He heard that there was an abundance. I'm not wondering if the church, do you anybody hear that God is doing something in here today? Maybe you hear the sound of abundance beginning to shake free in your life, but there's a sound before God actually showed up. Maybe the sound that he heard was similar to what the disciples heard in Acts chapter 2 when it says that there was a, a sound that came in when the Holy Spirit descended upon them. It was the sound of a, of a rushing mighty wind, and the Holy Spirit came and sat upon them and like tongues of fire, and they spoke as the Holy Spirit. Gave them utterance. Maybe, maybe there's a sound of, of freedom that just the understanding that the Holy Spirit is showing up to do a new thing in your life. Maybe it was a sound similar to that. Maybe it was a sound similar to what Blind Bartimaeus heard in Mark chapter ten verse forty-seven when it says that he heard that Jesus was in the vicinity, and as a result of that, he had the faith to lift his voice up. And when he lifted his voice up, then he got his healing. Maybe, maybe there's a sound associated with that. What I'm saying to us is is that faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Sometimes, if we can just hear it enough, it will activate our faith that we can begin to see a move of God. There's something powerful about when we recognize that there is a sound in the missing church. I believe there's a sound in here today. I believe there's a sound of abundance in here today. I believe there's a sound of freedom in here today. I believe there's a sound of breakthrough. I believe there's a sound of miracles. I believe there's a sound of marriages being restored. I believe there's a sound of people being restored. I believe there's a sound of people getting new jobs. I believe there's a sound in this environment today. I believe there's a sound in this church today that God is stirring some things up. I believe that with that sound, it creates this ripple effect where things begin to shake. Some of us feel shaken right now and you're wondering, are you, is it your nerves? Are you, are you losing control? But I believe that whenever there's a shaking from the kingdom of God, it's because God is shaking things together and he's shaking things loose. I believe he's shaking some things together and he's shaking some things loose. There may have been some things that have been attached to you. There may have been some things that have been attached to you. And now you're wondering, why does it seem as if the world is shaking all around you? But maybe it's because there's a sound that's, that's trying to shake some things loose. You know what they say whenever you're in the midst of, a, of an earthquake that the best thing you can do as the world begins to shake is to lower your center of gravity and maybe as the world begins to shake a little bit around you it's a time for us to come to our knees and to ride this thing out and say that God I know that you're with me. I know that this ground is shaking but I know that you're with me. I know that I'm losing my footing but I know that you're with me. I know that I may have lost my job but I know that you're with me. And you are shaking some things off of my life. You're shaking some things off of my environments and God when I stand on my feet I will be new and as pure as God shake it off of me God shake everything that's not like you off of me God shake it off I believe God is shaking some things up in here today church I do I believe he's shaking some things up and the Bible declares that as God began to shake some things up and people's lives and things were falling off but things were coming together I think there's some things that we can see that comes as a result of that Here's the four things I want you to write down with the shaking and what happens as a result of the redemptive plan of God. The first thing that we get is we get new structure. We get some some new order. We get some new structure. We get some new things that are lined out. The Bible says that the bones began to come together. What was once broken and scattered had began to find themselves in alignment. You see, what I believe happens when we surrender and submit ourselves to the redemptive plan of God, that things that were once disjointed begin to get a new order. I'm talking like things like like serving your family. I'm talking about being the, the priest in your home, things like that, it creates a it creates a new order. I'm, I'm talking about creating space and saying, I'm gonna to come to church consistently so I can engage the presence of God and allow that to be the thing that renews my mind. I'm talking about new order and new structures like that. I'm talking about when we begin to recognize what God's word says about our resources and how if we put God first, that it creates space for God to land. It's, I'm talking about a new order. What happens when we allow ourselves to be submitted to the redemptive plan of God, he shakes some things up and he gives us a new order and new patterns. Because unfortunately, there's too many of us that have been, we've been living in that space where we just want to feel the vibes. We just, just give me the feelings. Just give me, just give me, I just, I just want to get my touch of the feelings on Sunday. Let me, let me give you some contrast and paint this out for you a little bit. You see, in Genesis chapter one, when it says that, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God hovered over the darkness. That word hovered literally means vibrating. So that means where there was chaos, and there was nothingness, that the Spirit of God's presence could be felt. The presence of God could be felt. It was chaos, but God was there. It was messiness, but God was there. But the problem is, without any order, there was no place for God to land. Some of our lives have been conditioned where if I can just get a touch from God, that's enough. But until we get order for God to land, we will never be able to reproduce the fruits in our lives. So it is there that God began to put things in order. And then when he created Adam, he breathed on Adam, and then Adam became a living being who then had the instructions to be fruitful and multiply. Often we're trying to multiply things that we haven't even created a structure to do yet. God gives us new order. He gives us new structure. He's trying to get us into a place that when his presence comes in, there's a space for him to multiply. In addition to us getting a new structure, I believe we get new strength. I want you to write that down, new strength. So what the Bible says is that the the tendons and the, the muscles and all these things started coming in, and they started providing support for the bones. Now that the structure is there, now there's a new support for those muscles, a new strength that comes alongside. This is where the muscles were developed. This is where the the tissues were developed. This is where the brain was developed. This is where the heart was developed. All the things that on the bones, that's where the layers comes in of all the things that gives us life. Those things came in. But it had to have a structure for it to attach itself to first. Many times we want the results without the structure, but God is trying to give us the patterns here because we see that there's this new structure and then after that new structure, there's new support. I'm talking like a new support, like a new community, a new family, people around you that can strengthen you as you are walking out this new structure that God wants to bring into your life. But then here's the the third thing I think is so powerful. There's There's this new identity, new identity, because after the bones were put into place, and the muscles and the strength came into place. Then the Bible says that then their skin was attached. Skin is an identifier. It's how they were able to see one another. That means that when I have proper order, when I have proper strength and support, that people will begin to recognize what God is doing in my life. It's just a process in which God does these things. It's so powerful to see how when we submit ourselves to what God wants to do, when we step into all he has access to, that we have access to as a result of it, that we begin to get new order. We get new strength but we also get a new identity, a new reference point. And and here's the fourth and, and final thing. We get a new spirit. Because the Bible says that you can have all the structure in the world, but if you have not submitted it to the presence of God, it will not reproduce. It is still stale. I love the sequencing of it's not calling us to be so logical that we forget the spiritual, but so spiritual that we forget the logical. God is allowing them all to work together by saying, I need you to have structures. I need you to have rhythms. I need you to have routines. I need you to have patterns. I need you to have these things in your life, but I need them to be submitted to me so that I can breathe on them, which will then allow you to stand on your feet and be an exceeding great army. This is what God wants for us and our families and for all that are part of his kingdom. It's his will for us to get the new spirit because what we understand is that connected connected to the breath of god it changes everything it's the it's the very substance of life it's, it's the thing that has the ability to to change atmospheres and so what the bible says is that when the wind came that it entered into these dead bodies and that they rose up and that god had told them that he was going to give them the land that was theirs it's amazing what can happen when we allow god to breathe on our situations it's amazing the the transformation that takes place when we position those things in our lives and simply say God will you will you breathe on this I know it's I know it's been dead for a long time but God can you can you breathe on this It's it's, it's powerful when we think about when Jesus was about to ascend into heaven he breathed on his disciples and he said receive the Holy Spirit he imparted into them giving them an indication that the breath of God changes everything the breath of God it it, it, it fixes the atmosphere the breath of God the spirit of God has the ability of, of bringing freedom and that means that when the breath of God is on me. It, it, it attaches itself to me like a fragrance. And when I walk into a room, it's no longer me that walks into the room, but it's the, it's the aroma of grace that walks into a room. So now that the aroma of grace is entered into the room, it, it changes the atmosphere. It's, it's not me, but it's because I've submitted my life to Christ and the breath of God is on me. And because the breath of God is on me, it, it shifts and changes everything. It's amazing what can happen when we allow God to breathe on our situation. You know, it, it, it makes me think about This whole process that I went through with my broken ankle after going through physical therapy for months at a time and finally getting to a place where I got a little bit of stability, I I had to learn my new normal. I had to learn how to now walk with this foreign object in my ankle that I'm fine. My limp's gotten a lot cooler, but it's, it's still there. It's still mornings where it's a little bit stiff. There's days where it's not. I still can't run the exact same way. But but it's okay, I'm I'm fine. But I, I remember the biggest thing that I had some concerns about is when it was going to be time for me to travel, because I, I knew that there was a possibility with this this metal plate in my ankle that I could go through the the scanners and I could set off alarms. And the last thing I want is any problems with TSA. I don't want no problems. So I'm talking to my doctors and I say, hey man, like is this going to set off any alarms? He said, well for the newer machines it won't because they. They have this ability they could tell what it is so you should be fine so no don't don't worry about it so i finally was in a position where i needed to travel and so i go to the airport as you do when you're going to fly and when i when i get there i'm walking through and when i walk through it sets off an alarm and of course like it's not like just a regular like beeping alarm it was like one of those like major alarms where everybody's looking And i'm like okay like i promise you i don't got anything on me i want no problems. it's all good they kind of pull me to the side and they're they're talking to me a little bit and they're, they're swabbing my fingers and they're doing the little wand thing and everything and they finally get down to my leg. They say, hey, let's, let's talk about this for a moment. I said, well, I got this, I got this surgery and they put this plate in my, in my ankle and so it, it, it fixed the bone, but I still gotta walk this thing out. And he's like, okay. He said, so there's something in you is what you're saying. I said, yes, sir, there's, there's, there's a plate on my, in, on my ankle that has held the bone together. He's like, okay, great. So there's something in you. That's what set off the alarm. You can go ahead and I'm um, going about your business. I grab my bags and walk off with my limp as I do. But as I was walking with this limp, it occurred to me that the man has spoken a word that was so powerful that it caused me to stop right in the airport. Because what what he said was, sir, there's something in you that set off the alarm in this atmosphere that caused all of us to draw our attention to you. There's there's something in you that 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 literally stirred us all up. We we didn't know what it was, but, but now that you've explained it to us, we now see that there's 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 something in you. And because that there's something in you, it's it's changed the way that you walk. Because there's something in you, it's gonna it's gonna set off some alarms because there's 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 something in you. You're you're not like everybody else, like, but there there's something in you. Church, I, I'm not sure if that encourages you the way that it encourages me but I realized that because there is something in me, it's gonna cause me to walk differently than what I did before I understood what it was, because there is something in me. I'm here to let you know, church, that God resides in you. And when the Spirit of God resides in you, it is going to set off alarms. The enemy should be alarmed when you walk into environments where darkness is, because light has just showed up brokenness should be alarmed when you walk into the room because peace has just showed up. Oh, I don't know who I'm talking to in here today, but I'm here to let you know you should be setting off alarms because there is something in you that has changed the way that you walk. So I don't walk around depression like I used to because I'm filled with joy and joy has just showed up. Miracles have just showed up. Signs and wonders have just showed up. It is not me. It is the God in me, but I'm setting up alarms because there's something in me. There's something in you, church. And unfortunately, us as a church, we've we found ourselves at a place where we're so busy trying to fly under the radar instead of set off the alarms. We're changing that today. We walk out in boldness and saying, yes, there is something in me, and we're changing the atmosphere because if we don't do it, no one else will, God has equipped us He has empowered us, he has commanded us to walk into environments, to speak his word, to walk it out differently, and shift it as a result of what is in us. Not by might, not by fear, but it's by my spirit, saith God. I want everyone to stand on their feet in here. We're gonna go back into worship in just a moment. I believe that the power of God's gonna move and it's gonna change the way that some of us walk some of this stuff out. But I I wanna talk to somebody for a second. At our Toon Creek campus, at Orange Park, I wanna ask you this question. Maybe you're in here today and you're in a valley season. You're in a season where maybe you have been led to believe, like like most of us, that my valley means there's no victory. But I'm here to let you know that even though you may be in the valley, there is something in you that will grant you victory if you allow yourself to receive the finished work of Christ and walk it out. If that's you and you simply want to invite the grace of God to land on any area of your life, I want you to boldly lift your hand up so we can include you in this prayer. We're not even going to count to three. Just boldly lift them up. Hands up everywhere. Amen. God bless you. You can go ahead and put those hands down. Here's my, here's my second question. Maybe you're in here with us today, and you know that your next step is simply to surrender your life to the finished work of Christ. You are redeemed. You just got to apply it and begin to walk it out. If that's you, and you want to commit or recommit your life to Christ, we want to create the space for you to do that. So on to count of three, we are going to count this down. But boldly as a family, I want us to be able to encourage one another as we do it at our campuses as well, you want to commit or recommit your life to Christ, I want you to boldly lift your hands up on a count of three. One, two, three, lift them up. My God, my God, my God. My God. I'm so, I'm so proud of you. I'm so, I'm so proud of you of recognizing that there's more to life than where you are. I want us all to pray this prayer together. And then we're gonna go back into worship as I pray for us and I believe that God is gonna move. But let's repeat this all together. Lord Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross and that you rose from the dead. And it's because of my faith in that, I am saved. Fill me with your spirit and order my steps in Jesus' name. Thank you for tuning in to today's podcast. For more information about Celebration Church or to get in touch with us, please visit celebration.org.